you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Connor Newcomb, and on today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, we are going to unfortunately look back at what was a pretty, pretty rough weekend at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Of course, back on Friday, we talked about the Orioles' home opener, the 7-3 loss on Thursday. Well, the final two games, the series on Saturday and Sunday, did not go well either for very different ways. Of course, on Saturday, the Orioles were very close, just inches away from winning a game against the Red Sox. Quite a uh, different story in Sunday's 14-9 loss as the Red Sox came in, sweep the Orioles, and uh, the O's have gone 1-5 since sweeping the Red Sox at Fenway Park last weekend to open the season. But today I will give my three big takeaways from the Orioles, we'll call it two games of the series since we already kind of talked about the home opener, and then uh, we'll do a little tiny preview of the series coming up with the Seattle Mariners. That is a four-game set that starts tonight. I'm going to preview that, just really preview game one today, and then tomorrow we'll have a special guest on the podcast to preview the remainder of the series against Seattle as the O's will take on the M's for the first time since 2019. A couple of rebuilding teams who have had some pretty good wins so far early in the season. We will talk about that on tomorrow's episode. But today, the three big takeaways from the two games this weekend involving Trey Mancini starting to get the power back, involving Bruce Zimmerman looking good again, and involving you know what we should really expect, kind of tampering the expectations for this 2021 Orioles team. So that's all coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order of those delicious and nutritious protein bars over at builtbar.com. So on today's episode, the three big takeaways from the Orioles' two losses over the weekend. Of course, it was a 6-4 loss in 10 innings on Saturday, and then a 14-9 loss on Sunday to the Red Sox as Boston came in and spoiled the first three games at Camden Yards for the Orioles. And it's kind of a similar scene, similar trend we saw last year where, you know, the Orioles obviously finished at 25-35 and 35 in 2020. Uh, but, you know, they, they started well and looked like an okay team. They just really struggled at Camden Yards off last year. And it's happening so far again, 4-2 and two on the road, 0-3 at home so far here through the very short nine games here in 2021. But the first big takeaway comes on the positive side, and it is that Trey Mancini seemingly has his stroke back and has the power stroke back at the plate for the Orioles. We knew about Trey's struggles coming into this weekend especially. You know, he had gotten a couple hits and had gotten some RBIs, but you know, hadn't found the power yet, obviously coming off missing all of 2020 and us knowing you know, what he has been through. But it was a rough start to the season for Trey. It looked like he was pressing a little bit, uh, but he got a big hit on Saturday. And again, he only went one for five in the game, but he hits a solo home run in the bottom of the first inning after the Red Sox had gotten two in the top half. Trey goes deep with a solo shot to make it two to one. Of course, he would go back to back with Santander, who would also homer to tie that Saturday game at two in the first inning. Uh, but it was uh, you know a ball that he hit a screamer out to right center field, got all of the baseball. I mean, that ball Trey Mancini hit was smoked. 427 feet on the home run. It was the hardest hit ball of the game, 111.9 miles per hour 
off the bat for Trey Mancini in that deep, deep home run. You know, you hit a ball 427 feet to the opposite way. You know, that was hit to right center field by Trey. You got all of that one. Now, you know, he did still go one for five, but, you know, he did strike out twice in the game. But still, seeing the home run was great, and it was good to get it back. Now, what you saw in the game Sunday was that, okay, his stroke may be, you know, even a little more back than we thought it was. Again, he only has the one hit in the one for four on Sunday, but he did draw a walk, which is a good sign in that game as well. And he did have four RBIs of the nine runs the Orioles scored in the Sunday game. And of course, three of those RBIs came on another home run. It was a three-run shot in the bottom of the seventh that actually made the Orioles kind of feel like they were back in the game. They trailed 10-1 to on Sunday. Then Michael Franco hit a three-run homer in the sixth, made it 10-4. And then with no outs in the seventh, Trey Mancini comes up, two on, nobody out. Hits a three-run homer to right field again. All of a sudden, it's a 10-7 game with nobody out in the seventh. And uh, the Orioles are right back in the game. Of course, they gave up four in the top of the eighth. and Things spiraled again, and, and you know it was right back to a blowout. But you know, it was another good swing by Trey Mancini. First pitch against a tough, side-winding, hard-throwing right-hander in Austin Bryce. And he hit it the other way. You know, just put it to the left of the big scoreboard in right field to get out for a three-run home run. And again, it was another you know big-time swing from Trey Mancini. Now, it did not have nearly the distance that the Saturday home run was. wasn't hit nearly as hard as the Saturday home run uh, was hit as well. But, you know, does it really matter? I mean, he's still got, you know, the, the big swing. And that was the big thing for Trey Mancini. It was 102.8 miles per hour off the bat. It only went 368 feet compared to the 427, but still a big hit for Trey. To go opposite field on both the homers was big too. And again, I know those were his only two hits of the weekend. You know, he did later in the game... Uh, drive in a run Trey Mancini did on an RBI ground out late in the game as well uh, after the Orioles got a runner to third base and Trey Mancini hit a little ground ball in the ninth to get him in for uh, an RBI ground out. So he ended up driving in four on the day. And I know, you know, he still ended up with a two for nine weekend, which isn't great. But when both hits are homers, and, you know, you end up driving in five runs and, and you draw a walk as well. It seems like his confidence is coming back at the plate. Even on Saturday night, you know, when he was up with the bases loaded in the eighth inning uh, and he hit that rocket down the third baseline that Raphael Devers made a really nice play to rob him of, of a hit and uh, retire the inning. You know, even though then he was he was hitting the ball hard, which was a good sign as well. That one was considered a hard hit ball as well, even though he was thrown out on the play. So nice to see Trey just back on the field, but obviously big for the Orioles' offense, which has struggled, struck out a lot. Trey has, has been struggling. You know, he's still hitting under 200 on the season. He's at 189 right now. But, you know, you can see the bat start to come around and the home runs come, and that is obviously a huge sign for the Orioles. That was big takeaway number one, that, you know, Trey Mancini seems to be getting that home run stroke back. Hopefully he can continue that against Seattle this week. Second big takeaway coming up when we come back. Has to do with the Orioles starting pitching, but specifically on Saturday. Bruce Zimmerman, in front of a bunch of family and friends at Camden Yards, showed off again. He looks pretty good, and uh, he looks like he might be the real deal. We'll talk about that after this break. So we'll get back to the Orioles talk in just a second, but first got to tell you about betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. 
Now, we have the NBA and the NHL in full swing. They're actually getting closer and closer to the playoffs. You also have golf going on. Of course, the Masters were this weekend. And, of course, Major League Baseball has started its season as well. But it's not just sports that you can wager on over at betonline.ag. They even cover award shows, TV shows, and reality TV as well. They've got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and best of all, it's free to sign up. So head over to the website right now, use your mobile device to sign up today, and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So we'll get to our second big takeaway here from the Orioles weekend in just a second. But first, just a couple of pieces of house cleaning here on the podcast. First, I wanted to apologize for that first segment. Audio, uh, we had a little bit of issues with it. uh, Tried to fix it up. uh, Couldn't get it much better than that. So we do apologize. Uh, Rest of the podcast here is good to go, however, we hope on the audio. Uh, But that is the one thing. I apologize again for a little bit of uh, odd sounding uh, audio in that first segment. Second thing is another podcast we got to tell you about here on the Locked On Podcast Network. That is the Locked On Today podcast. As you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. So, Big takeaway number two from the weekend is another positive for the Orioles. Of course, it was two losses. Red Sox swept them. The Orioles have lost five of six. But there are still big positives to come away with. And the second big takeaway from the weekend is that Bruce Zimmerman, although he may not be you know, a future ace for the Orioles, looks like he is the real deal and is going to be an Orioles starting pitcher, it looks like to me, for a good amount of time with this team as they continue to rebuild. You look at Bruce's second start of the season. Of course, his first start came against the Red Sox last Sunday, and he was good in that one. Six innings, gave up three runs, got the Orioles through a, a blowout game. He did pretty much a, a similar thing once again. You know, he wasn't completely dominant, but he did what the Orioles wanted him to do. He goes six innings against the Red Sox, allows three runs on seven hits, four Ks, one walk, did give up a solo homer to Raphael Devers in the sixth that made it a 3-2 game with two outs. Probably kicking himself for that, you know, was one out away from six innings, two runs, would have put the Orioles in a good spot. Only threw 85 pitches as well through six innings. It was a similar thing he did last Sunday in his first start. It was very pitch efficient, and he was very pitch efficient again in the game. Of course, We know how it ended after Bruce came out. It was a 3-2 game. The Orioles got two runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, a little chopper uh, that scored the first run off the bat of Michael Franco and a bad throw to the plate to try and get Mountcastle. Then Freddie Galvis with an RBI single to give the Orioles a 4-3 lead. Cesar Valdez came in. It was still pretty solid. The dead fish just was not dead enough. Uh, The Orioles almost were this close to turning a double play on Bobby Dalbeck that would have ended the game, but he just beat the throw out at first uh, that scored a run, tied it, Went to extras. Red Sox got two in the 10th. Uh, the Orioles did not score. Ended up losing that game 6-4. to four. But, you know, you go back to Bruce Zimmerman. He was the big positive from that game. And, you know, I just read out the, the stat line for him. But even you look closer to what he did. And, and there were some hard-hit balls against him. Don't get me wrong. 
you know, that first inning was was a little bit tough for him as well. You know, he had Devers 0-2 with two on and two out, and he made a bad pitch. You know, he hung a slider right in the middle of the zone. Devers hit it right back up the middle for an RBI single. You could see Zimmerman kind of bouncing up and down as soon as that pitch came towards the plate because he tried to bury that slider in the dirt on 0-2, and, and he just hung it. And then the other run, I mean, really, you know, it... <laughs> It's going to go down as an earned run because there really wasn't an error on the play. But that was not his fault. It was a play, you know, where Chance Sisko had a runner backpicked. He had Devers backpicked at first. The Orioles completely bungled the rundown and let the runner score from second before they tagged Devers out to end the inning. So if the Orioles are just able to execute that rundown in the first, you know, it's six innings, two runs for Bruce Zimmerman. And his second start of the year looks even better. But, you know, he's out there. You know, he's a Baltimore kid. Pictures coming out of him at Orioles games when he was younger. Of course, went to Loyola Blakefield in the Towson area. Uh, you know, he had a lot of family and friends in the crowd because they were, you know, about eight to, to 9,000 in the ballpark at Camden Yards on Saturday night. A lot of them were, were big-time Bruce Zimmerman fans. And it was just fun to watch him pitch once again. You know, he wasn't super dominant. Again, the four strikeouts. But he was good enough, and he ends up, you know, we've talked about called strike and whiff percentage on this podcast before. You know, it is the percentage of your pitches that are either called for strikes or are swung out and missed combined. And if you get 30% or above, you've had a good day. And again, he was there again, 32% called strike and whiff percentage for Zimmerman on Saturday. And his best pitch with that metric was the fastball. 35% called strike and whiff percentage with the fastball. That pitch was in the zone, was averaging about 91. He was able to touch close to 93 a few times, but, you know, he was hitting 91, which is what you see from him. The curveball looked good as well. You know, the slider got some some swings and misses. The curveball did. Even the changeup got some swings and misses. You know, he did hang the one changeup to Devers that led to the go-ahead home run in the sixth, but, you know, he, he looked pretty good on the day. And, you know, the fastball wasn't getting hit too, too hard. He was able to kind of uh, control things there. And, you know, I think it was just another good day from Bruce Zimmerman. And again, you know, I don't think he has the stuff to be a top-of-the-line starter. I don't think the Orioles think he does either. I don't think the Orioles, when they made the trade in 2019, or excuse me, in 2018, with the Braves sending Gosman over there, and Zimmerman was kind of the headliner of the deal that they got back, you know, they didn't expect him to be a frontline starter. But they thought he could be a starter at the major league level for not just a rebuilding team, but for a good baseball team as well, you know, probably as a, you know, number three, four, five back of the rotation guy. And I think once the Orioles are good, I think Bruce Zimmerman is kind of like your perfect somewhere between three and five, maybe. You know, I'd say a perfect, in a perfect world, he's like a number four starter, but he can even be a number three starter on a good major league baseball team. And that's what you need in this rebuild. You know, you're looking at guys like Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. Obviously, you want them to end up being all-star starting pitchers and aces, but you also need guys who are going to come up and be your threes and, and really your fours and your fives in your rotation or even be swingmen or, or good long relievers or even good you know two-inning relievers out of the bullpen. You need guys that can do that. Bruce has shown that he can do all of that, but he's gotten this starting role this year, and he has made it pay off, and it's been fun to watch him. You know, he got 10 swings and misses uh, in the game on Saturday. He doesn't have the most electric stuff. Again, you know, he was averaging 91 miles per hour on the fastball. You know, when he he touched 92.6, that was his hardest pitch of the night. You know, he's not a flame-throwing left-hander, but he has really good control, especially of his breaking pitches. He controls his breaking pitches probably better than any pitcher on the Orioles roster right now. 
And it's kind of refreshing to watch because, you know, as the Orioles after the hot start against the Red Sox have kind of cooled off, you know, we've seen a lot of pitchers, especially the starters, you know, in Yankee Stadium, we saw Kramer and Lopez, you know, struggle with the strike zone. We saw Lopez on Sunday again, you know, struggle with the strike zone some. It was refreshing, honestly, to see Bruce Zimmerman in two straight starts just kind of pound the zone. And, you know, you could argue that he was doing it because the Orioles got him a 10-0 lead in the third inning in his first start against Boston. Obviously, you're going to pound the zone. But he was pitching in a tie game. You know, it was 2-2 after one inning on Saturday. He was pitching throughout that game through five innings of a tie game, was still pounding the strike zone, just that one walk, and most of his pitches were in the zone. And it's just refreshing to see. And again, you know, he's not going to be an ace, but he, I think, is going to be a good mid-to-late rotation major league starting pitcher for the Orioles for years to come. And it's just even better that he, you know, is a local kid who grew up an Orioles fan, played at Loyola, and now he's back here pitching for the Orioles, and he's going to have all those fans in the stands every time he pitches at Camden Yards. Of course, his next start will be Thursday in the final game of the Mariners series, a day game back at Camden Yards. I'm sure there'll be plenty of his friends and family back in there to watch him pitch again. I don't think, you know, he's a guy who's going to end up, you know, all over pitching ninja. You know, he's going to be gift all the time, going to be an all-star, anything like that. He's just kind of a refreshing guy to watch pitch. He throws strikes. He has good command of his stuff. He has solid stuff to get some strikeouts, but he'll get you outs and he'll give you length and he is pitch efficient. And honestly, it's really fun to watch altogether. And I'm very excited about Bruce Zimmerman in the future. And I think, you know, it's only been two starts, still small sample size, but it, it feels like, you know, that spring training where he was the Orioles' best pitcher was not a sham. You know, he's built it right into the regular season as well. And, you know, I'm just really excited to see him continue to do this in an Oriole uniform. But our final takeaway is coming up next, and this is where we will, you know, get to more of the negative side of the Orioles being swept by the Red Sox this weekend and talk about a little bit of perspective on this Orioles team and knowing they are still in a rebuild. Sometimes things, you know, defensively on the mound at the plate are going to look like this when you put together a roster that does not have nearly the amount of talent of many of your opponents. We'll talk about that after this break. Back to the Orioles talk in a second, but first got to tell you about Built Bar. You know Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. Built Bar is delicious, and those six new flavors, it's almost as if they might even be better than the 12 OG flavors. I mean, just looking at caramel brownie, cookies and cream, I mean, apple almond crisp, they are all delicious, and then you add them to the OGs, which are just fantastic. Peanut butter, German chocolate, I mean, banana bread, fantastic. Double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, I mean, that one that one is fantastic as well. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, but the best part is they're great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. Just look at the peanut butter bar, 19 grams of protein, just 180 calories. So right now, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off of those delicious protein bars over at BuiltBar.com. So for our first two takeaways from the weekend, we went with the positive for the Orioles, but we do have to spin it to the negative for our final big takeaway from the weekend because, frankly, the Orioles were just swept by the Red Sox, a team they just swept up at Fenway Park the week before. And the third and final big takeaway for me from this Orioles weekend is that you have to have perspective in this season, and you have to know how this roster looks, and frankly, that this roster is a team built to win you know, somewhere in the low 60s in games in a 162-game season. They have a lot of inexperienced pitchers. They have a lot of hitters who are either inexperienced or were kind of cast-offs from other teams. 
Later in the season, they're going to bring up young guys who are making their debuts. It's going to make them even more inexperienced. The Orioles don't even really have many of those veterans who are, you know, guys you go to and who are looked to be dealt at the deadline. You know, you kind of think, you know, it's it's interesting. Even like a, a team like the Texas Rangers, who the Orioles will play next weekend at Camden Yards. You know, you kind of look at that roster, and you know, they're pretty similar in that they have some unproven players. But even looking at like the back end of the bullpen, they have a guy like Ian Kennedy, who is currently their closer. Now, Ian Kennedy, you know, is fairly new to closing, but over the last three or four years, he's been a somewhat solid closer. You know, been with Kansas City, they moved into the bullpen, and he was solid. And he's turned himself into kind of a middle of the pack, you know, maybe maybe top 15, maybe even better closer in baseball. And for Texas, best case scenario for them is that a guy like Ian Kennedy, you know, really still figures it out as their closer, pitches well, and they're able to deal him for a couple of prospects at the deadline. You turn things over to the Orioles, their closer right now is Cesar Valdez. He is a 35-year-old right-hander who throws a 78-mile-per-hour changeup about 90% of the time. Now, it's been effective. You know, he did finally blow a save on Saturday, but he still looked okay doing it, and his ERA has been great since he joined the Orioles last year. But he's not a guy who's going to garner, you know, the kind of prospects that maybe even an Ian Kennedy guy would, even though many times Valdez is more successful than Kennedy out there. You know, you look at the Orioles' second option is a Tanner Scott. You know, he's looking a lot, lot better, and he'll probably be the closer by the end of this year. But, you know, he's not enough of a proven guy to maybe trade, but he's also a guy the Orioles want to hold on to because he's, you know, a homegrown talent. And, you know, it's just kind of built very differently. The Orioles obviously don't have the trade capital they had in 18, you know, where they're dealing Machado and Scope and Gaussman and, you know, Zach Britton, and then, you know, later they're they're dealing Bundy and and guys like that. You know, that is not how this team is built. And the veterans that are on this team are somewhat guys who are trying to kind of put their careers back together. Matt Harvey, of course, the best example. If Felix Hernandez were here, he would have been that. You know, Wade LeBlanc out of the bullpen. He honestly pitched okay out of the pen in the 10th inning in a big spot Saturday. But he's not a guy who you're going to look to trade because no one's going to really want him. You look in the infield, you know, Freddie Galvis, it's been tough to watch him hit this year. He's kind of a a reclamation prospect. No one wanted Michael Franco on their team. The Orioles signed him two weeks before opening day. That is kind of what the veterans look like on this Oriole team. So there's not those kind of more solid veterans to help out the younger guys. It's, you know, veterans with questions that are on this Orioles team. And so you're looking at a guy like John Means, who is obviously going to be the Oriole ace. When you really think about it, John Means' first full MLB season was 2019. He's only pitched in one 162-game full season because, of course, last year was a 60-game year. And he's seen as kind of the veteran ace on this Orioles team. So that's how you kind of have to put this into perspectives that there's going to be rough games like Sunday. There's going to be rough weekends like this weekend. The Orioles are going to get swept in weekends more often than they sweep teams. And we've seen each side of it so far in the two weekends of the season. And that's what you have to get used to for this year as well. Now the hope is that by next year, things start to turn upward. And then by 2023, the Orioles can maybe compete. But, you know, that's what you're going to have to expect with how this roster looks. I mean, you know, there's some plays that have encapsulated that over the weekend. We talked about the terrible rundown on Saturday that cost the Orioles a run in the first inning. You know, we talk about the play that was kind of inexplicable uh, late in the game Sunday when Rio Ruiz booted a ball on, on a grounder that should have ended the inning, and then the runner went to third, and he wasn't even trying to score, but Ramon Arias picked it up, looked at first, didn't have a play, then just fired to home plate. Nobody was there. It was an awful throw. The runner wasn't even coming. Then the throw got away, and the run was able to score. I mean, it was just no need to make that play. You know, we've seen Ryan Mountcastle really struggle in left field, cost the Orioles some runs. 
you look around the roster and there's guys trying to learn new positions, trying to, you know, get their feet wet still in the big leagues. You look at the pitching staff, you know, it was fantastic to see Max Soroller have all that success in his debut as a Rule 5 pick at Yankee Stadium on Monday. I mean, that was fantastic. But he gets out there for his second appearance of the year, you know, on on Sunday, and, you know, things go very different. He gives up a huge three-run bomb to Devers. You know, J.D. Martinez, you know, hitting home runs with a three-homer game. You know, things are going to look tough for these guys. You know, Wells and Sorolla, they've been okay so far, but, you know, things are going to get away from them. You know, they're guys who have not pitched above single A before this season. So you kind of have to keep that. In perspective, you know, you look at the Orioles Sunday starter, Jorge Lopez. There's a reason he's on his third major league team. I know he has some good stuff at times. He has a 95-mile-per-hour fastball that moves like crazy. But there's a reason that among active pitchers in the major leagues, Jorge Lopez has the second-highest career ERA among active starting pitchers that are in rotations in Major League Baseball right now. It's because he's been hit around a lot, and that's why he's on the Orioles right now and not on a better team when he was waived by Milwaukee and waived by Kansas City. So you have to, you know, tamper the expectations. And again, you know, I saw people talking about on Sunday, why is Jorge Lopez in this rotation if Zach Lowther could be there? Why is Wade LeBlanc in the bullpen when Keegan Aiken could have that spot? I agree, but the Orioles are also still trying to develop guys, and that is the big thing. That's why Ryan Mountcastle's still in left field. You know, that's why Aiken is at the alternate side, and Lowther's at the alternate side, and Wells, Alex Wells, who again is injured, but is at the alternate side. That's why Rutschman is at the alternate side. You know, they are still guys who are looking to develop them so they are better when they come up and the Orioles are closer to winning. On the flip side, you know, we will see Alex Wells. We will see Zach Lowther. We will see Keegan Aiken in the major leagues this year. But there's no need to do it, really, at this point in the season. And because of that, you kind of have to tamper the expectations. And it was obviously very fun to see the Orioles start the year with a sweep of the Red Sox. I mean, it was great to go into Boston and just really destroy them over three games, knowing this team had much less talent than them. But, you know, you flip the script and you know, you know, you look at this Red Sox lineup up and down. It is much better than the Orioles lineup. J.D. Martinez is back. He had three homers today. Rafael Devers is awesome. He kills the Orioles. He had two homers on Sunday. So you have to think about the fact that most teams the Orioles play, their roster is going to be worse. Now the O's do have the Mariners and the Rangers back-to-back this week. Those are two teams with rosters somewhat similar in talent to the Orioles. So maybe the O's will have a better chance. You know, maybe they come out and go 4-3 and three or 5-2. and two. You know, in these seven games against Seattle and Texas, and their record looks pretty solid again, you know, going into this time next week. But even if that's the case, you still have to know that it's going to be a losing season for the Orioles. They're going to lose, you know, 90-plus games this year. And it's because the roster right now just doesn't have the talent and the experience to compete with most teams in baseball who are better than them. And they're going to win 60-plus games. But again, they're going to lose more games than they win. And things are going to look ugly sometimes. Now, you hope they don't look as ugly as they did you know, on the Arias play or on the bad rundown because these are still Major League Baseball players who have played baseball their whole life and should be able to make plays like that. But sometimes when things are snowballing in a bad game, when you've given up six home runs on Sunday to the Red Sox, plays like that are going to happen at the Major League level. So the final big takeaway from the weekend is just tamper those expectations just a little bit because we know the talent on this team and we know we want the Orioles fans. We love that we're all passionate and want to win games. Hopefully in the next year or two, we'll be back to having a team that can win some of these games and that passion can come out even more and more. But you do have to tamper the expectations a little bit on these young, inexperienced, you know, some castaway guys. It's just not a roster that is built to win a lot of games. And we saw that over this weekend. But of course, you know, the Orioles, they still do have 
some redeeming qualities on this team. Trey Mancini starting to hit a little bit. We talked about it. Bruce Zimmerman looks good. John Means looks like an ace. We hope Ryan Mountcastle pulls it back together. Cedric Mullins has been amazing. All these guys you might want on your fantasy team. And we're going to talk about another podcast in the Locked On Podcast Network. You can be a waiver wire winner with the Locked On Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins. Follow Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. So that's going to do it for us today here on the Monday episode of Locked On Orioles. Join us back here tomorrow. We're going to have a special guest from Lookout Landing here on the pod. That is the Seattle Mariners SB Nation site. And uh, he's going to join us to talk about the Seattle Mariners. We will preview kind of the three final games of this four-game set tomorrow. We will look at the meat of this four-game series at Camden Yards. As for tonight's game, the Orioles no off day here on a Monday. It will be Dean Kramer taking the mound for the O's. He will get his second start of the year, looking to get a little deeper into the game than he did at Yankee Stadium. And then for the Mariners, it will be Justice Sheffield. You know, was a top prospect at one point, came over from the Yankees in a trade a few years ago. He's still trying to pull it all together, a former first-round pick. The left-hander will go for Seattle. Those two will battle it out at 7 o'clock on Masson at Camden Yard. So that's the game tonight. Then join us back here tomorrow. We'll preview the rest of the series between the Orioles and the Mariners. But until then, this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.